Welcome back to the Open Source Startup Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Tim Chen from Essence VC, and I'm Robbie from Cowboy Ventures. And today we're incredibly excited to have Nikita Shamganov on, who is the founder and CEO of Neon Database, which is a serverless Postgres platform. And we're going to go way back to the beginning, hear about how it was incubated and get his thoughts on the landscape. And we're just very excited to have him here. So welcome, Nikita. Very happy to be here. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Where did the idea come from for Neon? And maybe talk us through in that story how you actually incubated the company at Kosla, I believe. That's right. Yeah, I I actually had the idea for many years. At the time, I was running Single Storm, which is a database platform that is focused on large-scale enterprise workloads. And every time I would go to a large customer, and you know, we're talking companies like Apple, Goldman Sachs. Morgan Stanley, Verizon, I would see lots of what we call scale workloads. And then I will also see a lot of what we call commodity workloads or tier two workloads. And within those, I only saw three databases, MySQL, Mongo, and Postgres. And so right at the same time, you know, AWS launched AWS Aurora, that I think was 2016 or 2017. And because the database world of people who can build systems technology is relatively small, you know, I obviously have friends everywhere. And so I saw the the rise of Aurora, of AWS Aurora. And that's when kind of the first idea came through where it's like, well, what if we created a an open source alternative to Aurora and kind of claim that real estate, right? It's obviously a very good idea to separate storage and compute, but the technology is all proprietary. And from what I'm hearing from that team on Amazon is Aurora is not meant to be open source. And the reason to that is tied too closely to the Amazon internal infrastructure, internal libraries, plus it supports Postgres and MySQL. So there's a lot of kind of like, if you look at the C++ code that is their stories, there's a lot of code that says if def MySQL or if def Postgres. So anyway, that registered in my brain. I kept thinking about it, but I was running single store. Single store was kind of reaching escape velocity and there was no time to go and invest and obviously, building something like Neon was completely off strategy for single store. You know, you can't have two engines, you know, too hard for a startup to have two database engines. And by the way, the beginning of Neon is not that far away. The company is coming up to two years. So as I was transitioning from single store out to hiring a phenomenal enterprise CEO, Raj Verma, and joining Kosla, I told the note, it's like, hey, I've been thinking about this for years. Should we maybe incubate this company? And the node is like, yeah, of course, right? You know, here's some money. Why don't we go ahead and do it? And then it went really, really fast. And that was in a way unexpected. So because of the simplicity and the clarity of the idea, I was able to line up phenomenal co-founders from the Postgres world. Heiki Linakangas is a Postgres commuter. Stas is a contributor to Postgres, Postgres hacker, who spent a lot of time in their prior careers working on Postgres core and various tooling around Postgres as well, such as Postgres as a service, which is super valuable, as well as Heike worked on the Greenplum project outside out of uh, VMware. But it's all Postgres. The idea really resonated with them. We shook hands, formed the company, and started with just a very, very simple idea, open source alternative to AWS Aurora. At that time, we thought, okay, well, if you contrast that technology, by the way, this is a lesson from Paul at Superbase. So he contrasted what Superbase is with Firebase. 
And he said, well, which is an open source alternative to Firebase. And we're like, okay, well, that innovates on the part of the stack between a JavaScript developer and Postgres itself. And we're going to innovate in a different part of the stack. We're going to create a you know separate storage and compute, which is obviously, as proven many, many times now, a great idea for any cloud service. But then in order to gain early momentum, we thought we will contrast it with AWS Aurora and we'll say, okay, well, this is an, an open source alternative to AWS Aurora, which will get us initial interest from the developer world. And in our space, in the database space, developer is key. So if developers love your technology, things will happen. If they don't love your technology, nothing will happen. But as we started working on it, and, and in order to separate storage and compute, there is a complex systems piece of technology that needs to exist. This technology is Neon Storage. It's an open source project. You know, Now it has 6,000 stars on GitHub, and it's basically developed enough to run a very large fleet of Postgres databases already. As we started working on this, we thought, okay, well, is this enough? Is this enough to be an open source alternative to AWS Aurora to build a generational company? And the answer to that, kind of the follow-up question is, like, do you have enough differentiation? And is your technology relevant to the world that you're coming into, or you're more of a me too? And if you're a me too, good luck. You will be chasing taillights for a very, very long time of whoever is ahead of you. In our case, that would be Aurora. And that's when we we started to explore the ecosystem around Postgres and see where the opportunities are and where the world is heading. And the first thing that we discovered, and I clearly remember that board meeting where we were walked in and said, hey, we're going to delay our release. And the reason we're going to delay our release is we realized how important serverless is to the world. And as we ship our technology, we're going to ship it cloud only. So you can only consume it in the cloud. Of course, the bits are open source. So if you you know want to deploy it yourself, you go ahead and deploy it yourself. But we're going to focus on the cloud-based consumption. And we're going to ship it serverless and serverless only. The only bit is incredibly important because it simplifies the interface between the developer and the database. It puts pressure on the vendor, on us, to scale compute and storage based on the workload. But it's a superior developer experience to the user. And then as we explored the ecosystem, we realized that, oh, there is this growing set of technologies that are all serverless. And we should be able to plug it into this ecosystem like a glove. Anyway, that's kind of the origin story. I can and talk a lot more there. That process of discovery is kind of near and dear to my heart of, of what's important. And we discovered probably two or three more things on the way. One is, a, you know, my conversation with Guillermo at Vercel. And then there's just a couple more. But I'm happy to elaborate on them. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a very thoughtful process since the beginning to the end. And so... Actually, very curious about your starting point because you started as open source and you mentioned about as an alternative to Amazon's Aurora. I think a lot of people actually been debating even the question, should we even open source a database? Because fundamentally, a lot of people say, hey, developers don't even carry open source. I just want a simple API. I don't want things to work. I don't really care if it's open source or not. And we'll be curious because you took the route of taking an open source and positioning against SQL Aurora. Do you see that as a benefit to be a lot more trusted early on? 
are you foreseeing that there's going to be actually a community of contributions? Like, what is actually main motivation or advantage for being open source since the beginning? I think this is one of those decisions when we look back and be terrified if we were to go a different direction. So we feel incredibly strongly about that decision and that this is the right decision. And also, we believe that it's the only way to succeed in a technology like ours. And let me explain why. So first of all, in our company, we have a dependency on Postgres. And the way the Postgres community looks at Neon is incredibly important. And if we're not open source, they will look at us one way. And if we're open source, we'll look at us another way. There is a third one. There's in the middle option here is what is your license? And in our case, the license is Apache 2.0, which is basically, you know, do whatever you want. And we debated that license as well with lots of kind of people in the network saying, hey, you should have a, you know, a GPL license because you're protecting your IP. But I think if you go all the way towards Apache, then you contributing to the trust that the developers have towards your technology. You're also contributing towards trust from the ecosystem. And in our particular case, that's Postgres. And you're also contributing to trust from your partners, future partners, of course, because at the time there were no partners. And all of those things played out favorably to us. So now I can be more excited about the fact that we made that decision to go open source and put all the bits that we've created up on GitHub under the Apache 2.0 license for those reasons. Now, why am I terrified of the possibility of us making a different decision? Well, we see external contributions. We see how much easier it is to hire people when they work on open source technology. We see how much easier it is to go and show up at the Postgres conference and people are cheering and rooting for us rather than against us. And especially when things comes down to like Aurora versus Neon. They're like, oh, Neon is the open source guys. They're the good guys. And Aurora is the closed source guys. They're not necessarily good guys. And they're holding back on their contributions to Postgres. Now, for a big company like Amazon, there are ways to mitigate this. They hired a bunch of committers. They establish a Postgres expertise there at the company and, and whatnot. But for a small company like ours, this could be mortal. This could be deadly to lose that trust especially early on where you're so you know, vulnerable and small. So I can be more excited that we made this open source decision here. Awesome. Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of the reasons why open source is so powerful to developers. I want to spend a bit of time talking about Neon's differentiation because there's this kind of key around separating storage and compute that's very different from some of the other you know, database companies that we've had on the podcast, like Planet scale or super base. And so can you talk a bit about why that's so important and the kinds of users that are drawn to that? So I have this pinned tweet on my Twitter account that says formula for an infrastructure startup success. Number one is to find a 10x architectural advantage in cost and speed in a large category, build a freakishly good engineering team to implement the architecture in a narrow but deep product and then relentlessly drive user experience. And so that is something I just believe in general. And the lesson that I was taught was from Snowflake, right? That single store competes with Snowflake and single store is like one-tenth of Snowflake's revenue. And the reason to that partially is how more focused Snowflake was early on. Single store didn't have a weaker team. 
it's very questionable which team was stronger early on or even now, single store or Snowflake. But Snowflake certainly was more focused. They had this architectural advantage. They chose a category, which was data warehousing, and they relentlessly drove user experience for that large category. So now, how does it apply here? So separation of storage and compute is hard to build, but it is an architectural advantage. And the reason it is an architectural advantage is that in the cloud, if you run any stateful technology, you are just by design, like forget about databases, any stateful technology, you are over-provisioning storage or compute or, you know, whatever, network bandwidth or metadata services. But storage and compute are usually what you end up paying for. So uh, the most, and if they're tied together, so you have all sorts of problems when you run your technology as a service. For example, you run out of storage. So what do you do then? So now in a stateful system, you have to kind of reconfigure your system. You need to add nodes, reshuffle the data. That creates kind of a management overhead every time you run out of storage. Now, if you don't ever run out of storage, then you most likely over-provision storage, right? You put too much storage, then you're paying for it. Then you're paying for what you're not using. And clouds, that's not a secret, are very expensive now. I mean, they always were very expensive, but the only way to mitigate the expense of the cloud is to never pay for what you're not using. Now, Amazon obviously wants you to spin up, you know, EC2 instances and storage and just like never turn them off because the bill arrives every month. But for you as an infrastructure provider, you got to be extremely efficient in everything you're consuming in the cloud. So the second bit about the cost is that clouds very happily offer you building blocks for reliability, they offer you building blocks for things like reliable storage, you know, failover compute maybe in some cases, but they also charge an arm and a leg for you. For example, you know, you have EBS volumes, you know, like this block storage that's offered from Amazon. Well, EBS is both slower than local attached SSDs and a lot more expensive, and it's not elastic. So you can add more reliability to your system if you use EBS volumes, but it comes at a cost and it doesn't solve the problem of you running out of disk space. So when you think about cloud architecture, they're they're just kind of wildly different. And the right way to do it is to separate storage and compute. And ideally you make both storage and compute elastic and serverless. And so what this means for us for storage is we've created one big multi-tenant storage for the whole fleet. And right now we're already running, I think close to 15,000 databases on the platform. And that's just in a very short period of time. And they're all run off of the same storage. It's one big cloud native storage. Storage is multi-tenant. And the observation here is that your quote unquote access pattern to storage is very similar to that of a key value store. You know, you're requesting a page, page is eight kilobytes, and you're writing, you know, you modify any page and you're writing this back to storage. I'm, you know, drastically simplifying this. You can read about our architecture on our blog post. So because of the simplicity of the access pattern, it's actually trivial to make it multi-tenant. And so now all you need to make sure is, hey, you know, those very simple operations of reading a page and writing back onto the page complete with a reliable SLA and our low latency. And then 
a small database will consume one page and a very large database may can consume, you know, multiple, like tens of terabytes. But it doesn't matter because they all interact with your storage over this very simple interface. And that interface is infinitely scalable and a key value store can be made infinitely scalable. Compute is a different story. Compute in the world of databases is expressed via a language called SQL, structured query language. And the amount of compute on a per query basis could be wildly different. You can run a query that says, you know, just return me one record, give me user by user ID or something like this. Or you can have a query that says, go over all of your data, join this with, you know, lots of joins, lots of aggregations. So the amount of compute assigned to a query could be unbounded, right? So it's a Turing complete language. So you can have loops, whatever. It's you can burn arbitrary amount of compute as one query. And that query, like I said, could, you know, pull a story procedure with loops, control flow, yada, yada, yada. So that means that if you want to create serverless compute, you still need to have kind of dedicated compute environments for each user. But the good news, you can dynamically change the size of those compute environments. And that's what we built with our auto-scaling technology. So now if you step back and say, what is the differentiation that comes from that sophisticated architecture? Well, first, you never have to size your environment, right? You know, you make an API call, you get a connection stream back. It happens in two seconds with Neon. And then the environment is bottomless on storage, elastic on compute, and you never pay for what you're not using. And specifically, the benefit comes at you once you have multiple environments. So either you have a fleet, right? Just, I don't know, some companies have thousands and, and some have hundreds of thousands of Postgres instances. And then the benefit of the fact that you don't need to really size that environment and you don't need to kind of like turn things on and off if they're not used it is like tremendous amount of savings in simplicity and how you, you manage that fleet. And then the fact that we control storage allows us to do kind of like cool things like forking. And that's what we also discovered early on, how valuable the ability to create copies and clones of your data are. So we introduced this feature called branching that allows you to take your environment. Doesn't matter what the size is, you know, it could be one kilobyte or a hundred terabytes. A full copy of your environment is a constant time operation. It happens in two seconds and you have a full copy underneath. We use copy and write technology, obviously, to create a clone. And why is that important? Well, nobody has one environment anymore. You always have production environment, test environment, staging environment. And with Neon, you can go as far as having an environment on a per commit basis of your code base. February 8th, we'll be launching our Vercel integration with previews. And every preview on Vercel will have a dedicated database to them. But the way that's delivered is it's not like we have a full copy of that data for every preview. We use that copy on Riot branching technology to give you the illusion you have a dedicated database for each preview. So that's to some, kind of sum it up. We have a some foundational technology underneath Neon, which is you know our storage implementation that separates storage and compute. We have auto scaling. And the user benefit, the differentiation uh, for the user is the ability to instantly create branching and have a fully serverless environment. Yeah, that's amazing to hear. 
Because I think that leads into the really the question I really like to get to. Because on your third point on your tweet is the relentless focus on user experience, right? And definitely the storage and compute separation leads you into much much better user experience. Where you talk about the connection stream, no sizing, or you talk about that the snapshotting or branching happen in constant time. I'm just curious if we really hone down on the developer experience. What is the way you able to focus on developer experience? Like, what is the developer experience you want to be known for, and how you're able to iterate and market it? Because I definitely feel like every database company usually claims now they're all serverless. Right. <laughs> they all claim they are all easy to use, but they are not all the way the same. And when we talk to maybe even previous podcasts, ask, "Hey, how how does your database is different?" There's a few things they learn how to market it. And also to, mm-hmm. to really hone down to. So I'm just curious from your perspective, what is this really the key focuses when it comes to like user experience, developer experience? How did you learn or iterate on focusing on what kind of aspects of developer experience and what is the way you learn also to market this effectively? That's a great question. So I think developer experience is not one thing. It's a lot of things with high attention to details. And some of those things we already have. And some of those things we don't have but working on. And I think with other database vendors, because of that focus, not just from us, but with other companies, we'll kind of arrive into the same place over time, right? Because that's what the world wants. The world wants kind of better developer experience. And each of the database vendors have their own strengths, and they leverage those strengths to drive developer experience. So what is it for us? So if you step back and you define what it is, let me highlight a few things. And some of them are neon-specific, and some of them are goodness in general. So the first one for us, and it is neon-specific, neon is 100% Postgres. So if you have an app that's running on Postgres, this app will work on neon. You replace the connection string, and it doesn't matter what you have, you know, plugins, you have syntax, foreign keys, uh, storage procedures, full surface area, everything just works. And the reason for that is, you know, all our innovation at the system level is at the storage level. Compute is just Postgres. It's vanilla Postgres. And Postgres itself, as far as the kind of like, as long as the databases go, has great developer experience that's been, you know, there for many, many years. Uh, and if you ask MySQL versus Postgres question and which database has better developer features, you will get an answer is like, hey, Postgres is better, right? And I've been building kind of my third database technology that I'm working on, SQL Server, Single Store Postgres. And so even though on one hand I'm biased because I'm running Neon, but on the other hand, you know, I've seen things. And I think Postgres has done a very, very good job just purely on the surface area, on sticking to the standard, to the ANSI standard, and on like not surprising people, it has done a very, very good job on this front. So that's one. The second one is like what contributes to developer experiences. I think that the quickness of how things happen. So if you go to Neon, neon.tech, and you spin up a database, database comes up in two seconds. So you don't lose focus. Oftentimes you go to other database vendors, you click a button, you say, I want a database, particularly with Aurora, particularly with RDS. Uh, it takes some time before everything gets provisioned. And this thing shows you a spinning wheel or whatever it's provisioning. That's right, just bad developer experience. When you want a piece of infrastructure, that infrastructure should be given to you right away. Then from there, and that's where I think Planet Scale really innovates. And we are absolutely watching closely and looking what they're doing 
I think having a very, very clear UI, very good CLI, you know, command line interface for you to, you know, not just provision new databases, but having that CLI that integrates in the developer workflow is super duper important. And because both us and PlanetScale have branching, I think ours are better because we separate storage and compute, but that's my humble opinion. The workflow around branches, I think PlanetScale as, as of right now is ahead, but we are adding commands and API calls and UI support and uh, command line interface to integrate branches into the developer workflow. What that means really is, okay, well, let's just imagine we want to create a branch for every commit. That means that we want to branch my database, apply changes to that, and then whatever changes you've made need to make it into the production environment. And there is a workflow for that. Specifically in databases, more often than not, you only care about schema, not the data. But in the test environment, you want to test it with the full data. But when you apply the changes, you just want to apply the schema. And at any point in time, you shouldn't be confused where you at in your development process. So you want to see what the differences are between your branch and the parent branch, and then have the ecosystem support things like Vercel previews that allow you to like, you know, instantly see what's going on. I think that's where we're heading. I think planet scale is slightly ahead with us having better architecture, but that's another part of the developer experience that just needs to be there for a modern database. And then developer experience is also what is the UI that like if you were to log in into the console, what is the UI that you're seeing? What are the screens? Do screens make sense? And do they create this satisfactory feeling, you know, similar to, I don't know, GitHub when you, you know, close a PR, you have like a, a dopamine hit of satisfaction. So those need to be brought in there. Like we're not quite there, but we're definitely working on that. And then finally, the developer experience is also where I think Superbase is doing a great job is in between the database engine and the developer. And so the developer interacts with the database over a driver. Depending on the language, this driver is either given to you, you know, let's say you're writing a program in Go or Java, there is a driver that connects to Postgres, nothing to see here, moving on kind of thing. But if you are building a front-end code, suddenly you don't have a driver. You can connect to a database from Node, but you cannot connect to the database from the browser. And that's kind of the place where, where Superbase innovates, solving various problems such as authentication, such as creating REST APIs that sit on top of the database. Our approach to that is mostly the ecosystem approach, but we want to make sure we're providing great interfaces and connections to the ecosystem. The one thing that I think belongs to Neon, like the right place for Neon to own is a serverless driver, uh, which is the ability to connect to Neon from the browser, from JavaScript environment, or from the edge environment, or from a serverless function or an edge function, like from a universal edge function. So that absolutely we're bringing in into the fold. There is a serverless driver. It's very popular. And people are connecting to Neon using the serverless driver when they write JavaScript code. So I think that's another piece of kind of developer experience that is not just getting started, that is not just having developer workflow, but also having the tools that plug in into your world. So if you're a JavaScript developer, we'll have tools for JavaScript to consume in Neon. There is another one that we don't have, but I think we should, which is a Visual Studio plugin. I'm tempted to submit a Replit bounty to see what people are going to come up with to build 
a Visual Studio Code plugin and I'm texting with Amjad, how much money we need to post for somebody on Replit? I'm, by the way, fascinated with Replit. And this is a great partner for us. When you think about when you're building an app and you're living and you're an expert in whichever language you are, Go, JavaScript, TypeScript, whatever, and then you interact the database, all your tooling, you know, starting from like syntax highlight, autocomplete deployments into things like Purcell, they're all so integrated and you feel like you have a superpower. But as you cross that boundary between the language, TypeScript, let's say, and the database, all of that is out of the window, right? You know, you have a debugger, but you cannot step into the debugging environment within the database. You have autocomplete syntax highlights, and there is a lot to do there. Imagine that you're calling, you're running a query, and that query is behind an ORM. And so what the query text is, you don't even know as you go and debug that system. But as a developer, you want to try it, you want to see, and this is just not integrated into the whole thing, into your, your Visual Studio Code environment. I think that's a massive opportunity for people to innovate. And I can see us launching a Visual Studio Code plugin that will allow you to punch through this fence between the TypeScript environment and the database. Oh, that was fantastic. We have a lot of founders who talk about what developer experience means to them. And so I think for like developers and databases, it's, it's super interesting to hear about how you think about what an amazing developer experience looks like. I want to talk a bit about your monetization strategy because in December, you launched with a pretty generous free tier. And I imagine there was a lot of thought that went into that, trying to figure out like where Neon will ultimately kind of generate most of its revenue from. So if you can talk us through kind of how you thought about it, if you tested with the community at all and what that process was like. This is a great question. I think for a period of time, by the way, this is a debate which is happening at the board level. There's a board meeting tomorrow and this debate will come up and it comes up every board meeting. And there's no secrets to that. We're blessed that our consumption, you know, our usage of our free tier and then organic adoption, we spend zero money on marketing, is hockey sticking. I'm literally looking at the charts right now as we speak and the chart looks vertical. Is it going to continue? I would like that, but, you know, I don't really know. But as of right now, all the metrics are up and to the right. And that is the number of databases on the platform. The number of compute hours is growing over 50% month over month. The storage under management, the amount of data we store for our users, all of that is up and to the right. So a very natural thing to do would be to, there's a cutoff in the free tier because it's serverless. We can have a fully consumption-based model. And so up to a certain level of consumption on a per month basis, it's free. Above that level of consumption is not. And then now is the time to swipe a credit card and, you know, and now you become a paying user. But then you look at where Postgres is used. And Postgres is used in SMB, uh, like indie developers, small, medium business. There's a lot of Postgres used in the mid-market. And there's a lot of Postgres used in the enterprise. And all the money is in the enterprise. But if you don't build your base with uh, a developer following and you go straight to the enterprise, you're risking to have long sales cycles and you're risking to build the wrong product because you're following specific needs of a handful of customers rather than using kind of the statistical approaches where you see which users 
are using which feature, and that creates a pool and a guide for you how to build a, a very easy to use and, and successful product. And so what we're hearing from our board and our investors and just people in the network is to employ what they call a barbell strategy. And at the very low end, one side of the barbell basically is you're doing everything to continue that hockey stick growth and relentless drive of user experience based on the feedback of you know tens of thousands of users that are using your product every day. And that process really never stops, right? Eventually, you know, the surface area stabilizes, but you keep releasing new features, new delights to users, and you talk to those, you know, large, large audience. And then you also look at the data. So we have a data team. We'll look at everything that's happening on that low end. And then there's like very, very large companies, you know, think about, I don't know, a large bank in New York or think about a company like Apple. I'm not saying it's Apple, but company like Apple, and they have lots and lots of posters in there. And the process of acquiring those customers, we don't even call sales at this point in time. We call it biz dev. And so we're going and talking to those companies and learning what their requirements are around Postgres and kind of learning what matters to them. And what always matters to those companies is developer productivity, right? Because they all have very, very large workforces of developers. And if we make them X percent faster, that generates a certain amount of savings or call it value, and they're more productive or they need fewer of them. Usually, you know, when we make something more productive, they just consume more. It's not about reduction of a workforce. It's about we can do more now with the people that we have at hand. And then whatever that value you're adding by making your technology more efficient, typically you can get a third of that in the dollar amount. So that's the other part of the barbell. That other part of the barbell, it's called the biz dev part, also applies to developer platforms. There's a lot of places that just need Postgres as a service. And you can't take Postgres as a service off the shelf today. And that's bizarre, but that's just the truth. But you can get Postgres as a service with Neon. And then you wire up a few API calls and you have Postgres as a service embedded in your developer offering. So there is a big pipeline of developer platforms that we are integrating with, we are providing the best, the fastest, and the most economical, one of the the best way to consume it, because you don't have to worry about turning things on and off, stuff serverless. And yeah, we are charging a margin of what it costs us, but we've architected our system to be extremely cost efficient. So even with that margin, it's like a tremendous deal for developer platforms that we're working with. So that's the two parts of the barbell. And that's how we think about monetization. Yeah, that's awesome. Usually the last question we end on is more personal advice or learnings you learned. And given you have such a long, rich history working on databases, I'm very curious, what is the biggest learning you learned maybe running you know, from SQL Azure to single store and now going through Neon? Was there one thing that you wanted to do differently or one lesson you learned that hey, this is... No, maybe not even just on the product, but even on company building or, or execution-wise. Or what is one or two things you really wanted to do differently into the, the Neon? Well, Neon is the answer is very simple, right? I wanted to have a developer pool. And I think that's what we're accomplishing here. And then the reason we have a developer pool is it's a different product, right? And single store is focused on large workloads and Neon is focused on tier two workloads. Eventually, it will grow up and cover everything. 
I think that's what we're doing differently. I think open source is another one, a single store. I wrote a memo at some point, you know, squeeze between open source and cloud. And it, while it was true, it was impossible to open source. It was too late. But cloud, cloud still made a lot of sense. But open source at that time didn't. So I also kind of feel like now I'm more obsessed about getting tailwinds with MemSQL and single store. My mindset then was like, we're just going to punch through this by the phenomenal engineering team. And that's all that matters. Headwinds, tailwinds, I don't care. But I think now I want to align in with certain tailwinds. And I think the tailwinds are serverless. And another tailwind that I kind of see, we internally call DevCloud, which is you don't need to use any of the AWS, GCP, Azure with that, you know, the technology still runs on those rails, right? But as a developer, you don't ever need to log into AWS to get stuff done. You don't need to know what Kubernetes is. And in fact, that's just my personal opinion. Kubernetes feels like a transitional technology and a developer of tomorrow will never have to touch any of that, but rather build their application against a certain cloud API with the support of AI, obviously. And the infrastructure will just take care of scaling up. And obviously, which is kind of important, scaling things down all the way to zero. And once we have DevCloud, and Neon will play a database piece in the DevCloud movement, but there are other companies, I don't know, like my favorite is probably Vercel, will play a big piece being kind of the front door into the DevCloud and will be the database piece in the DevCloud. I think that creates a tailwind. And if you attach yourself to a movement, things just get easier. Things just get easier. Awesome. Well, that's a fantastic place to end. Thank you so much, Nikita. This was a fantastic episode. We really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.